1: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST.
2: Hello there, everyone, and welcome to Footy Prime, the second footy prime of the week. A week that will last long in the memory of the memory, as a good friend of ours once said. Yes, Josie Mourinho Leaves a club. And of course, more importantly, the Super League dies. A bloody death. There are bits of Super League body parts strewn across the European football landscape. And we're all really happy for it. I'm James Sharman. Dan Wong is on the keyboards. Craig Forrest, he's here. Danny Dickio, lying in bed apparently once again. And Brendan Dunlop, looking more and more like Andrea Pirlo as the weeks go by. Hello, boys. How are you? Are are you recovered from what's been maybe the craziest off the field week in in recent memory? Certainly football wise. Um, You know, last time we spoke that this super league was, it was happening. We thought this was going to happen. They were saying all the right things, despite the backlash gathering steam. But in the end, within 48 hours, they just crumbled, crumbled like a Liverpool defense in 2012. Are you surprised, guys?
3: What's happened here? What are the ramifications? Go ahead, Deitch. Find their asses, drop points, everything. I want to throw the whole fucking thing at these guys. Do you think that's going to happen? Ramifications? Do you really think that will happen? No chance. Because they're not Wigan. They're not Luton. They're not Sheffield Wednesday. They're not teams like them.
1: Those are the teams that would be tossed out, would be forced to uh, live at the airport there at Luton.
3: No, but, like, the teams, they're, they're just a number of the teams that have had points reductions for, in my opinion, much less incident or whatever it is uh, that the FA have deemed to deduct them points. And you can go on for, for, for like, donkeys of years where teams were, were actually pushed down two divisions because of, I don't know whether it was financial play, whether it was uh, registrations of players, Craig, from back in the day. But it just shows you, like, the money is going to talk at the end of the day. The clubs that are represented by the hierarchies and the U.S. Americans that we're not too fond of, they won't do anything against them. They might slap their wrists. It's actually interesting to note as well that Chelsea and I think Tottenham have still yet to come out and apologize or do anything.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's true. I'm not sure anything is going to happen to them. If it is, it's, it's going to be minor. But at the same time, I think that we should be pretty happy with the situation, at least as it is, because quite honestly, there was a time, I mean, I was fuming, I was tweeting for fun, it's not like me (laughs) normally. And uh, I just figured we were going to get bullied again by billionaires because they normally win when it comes to something like this. And it was great to see that the backlash from, you know, really quickly out of the gates with Gary Neville, uh, ex-players, current players, um, Marcus Rashford, over a half a million likes on a simple tweet of uh, Busby uh, uh, saying uh, the game is nothing without fans. Um, then the politicians got involved. And quite honestly, the politicians weren't expected. This group underestimated what was happening, not only from the response of the fans, but also from the response of politicians. Politicians, uh, as much maybe legally, might struggle. They can push pressure on visas uh, for these individuals and put pressure on them other ways. And that, and I think that that was a, a shot fired across the bow, uh, and they crumbled really quickly because of uh, various reasons. But I think just the, the whole complete uh, meltdown around the world was just something I have never seen before, and uh, I wish that you know other problems in the world. Could we could fix uh, if we put this much energy into it in 48 hours. It's quite quite astonishing. I've never seen it, and uh, uh, I was tweeting with Michael, Reverend Michael, on the uh, on Twitter about it, uh, direct messaging, and he says he's never remember doesn't remember anything in his lifetime that compare uh, to how things came together and the pressure that was put on these individuals, and that's effectively why they backed off.
1: I mean, who would have thought since we last spoke that Gary Neville would become the conscience of English soccer and that a protest before Chelsea and Brighton would bring down the whole trillion-dollar operation and the people would beat the billionaires?
2: You know what, though? It's, it's, it's funny, isn't it, in that regard? But when, when I hear Boris Johnson taking a stand and, and coming out and being admonishing the, these, uh, these 12, well, particularly these six English teams, the, the cynic in me says, okay, he saw a great op for some free, positive PR here. He had to come out, knowing that the proletariat, the majority of his his, his electorate, are probably football fans or close to it, and he can come out and say, "Our savior, guys, don't you worry, get some votes in the process." So that's a cynic of me, but you know, this is the the, the fabric of, of of the culture, right? As as they call it, it is important, which is why he got involved. But I've heard it mentioned a few times since, and it's a really valid point that you know the, the game unifies and becomes one against. A commercial coup, essentially, is what it is. Whereas last number of years we've battled racism, xenophobia in football, and we're still battling that. Where was the response, the unified response to that compared to this?
4: There's too, too many white people involved.
3: Yeah, probably.
2: Yeah. you don't get it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think this only confirms as well, guys, that football is the world's game is definitely the world's game. You know, we've got pandemics going on. We've had uh, the Panama Canal, whatever it was, was going on. We've got <laughs> whatever it is. And within a matter of 48 hours, we've solved or not <laughs> solved it, but the football fans came out and said, you can't touch the beautiful game.
2: People you power, man.
3: Touch this.
2: Well, Danny, you
3: had your cousin, who's uh, a cabbie, text you. Tell, tell us that story. Yeah, so it was interesting. He actually sent me a video of, he's a black cab driver, which is a taxi driver in London. Um, And he was driving around West London. Obviously, that's where we're from. But he was going past Stamford Bridge, which is about an hour before the game that it was meant to be playing against Brighton. And he said it was an absolute gong show. He said there was fans, not only fans, but there was like people out, side of Stamford Bridge, where then gates are, Craig, you obviously played there, and they were just stopping traffic. They had banners up, and there was a, a big presence there from the police as well, but they weren't really getting involved. They stopped the bus, uh, the actual Chelsea bus, from coming in through the gates as well. I think there was pictures of Peter Cech uh, getting off the bus to try and resonate with the fans, but he said it was just really clear that, People were not happy. Fans were not happy, and for I think it was Perez, Florent Perez came out and said there was only forty fans there, uh, and they were made-up fans. <laughs> Trump a, supporters, right? A total lie. Because yeah. if that was happening at Chelsea, I mean, we've we've heard news of uh, Manchester United fans this morning going to the actual training ground and having it out with Ole and and the players there, and with a big banner up saying. We decide when you play. So that was very forefront in my in my opinion, showing how much of an influence these fans have actually got now.
4: And there's, you know, there's so many layers to this too. And, uh, you know, we can dig back into it and say, you know, FIFA is not exactly clean on this. UEFA is not, a, you know... We're talking about organizations that have a history that we know of. It's well well documented. Um, so I understand that there's other issues in football as well, and um, a lot of them need to be fixed. I mean, I remember back each year, probably 10 years old maybe, but in 1992 in the Premier League, you know, the, the talk about that was, and it was basically the – hierarchy in the in the football echelon that was bullying the rest of the football league and they did that i mean at the end of the day it's still really top heavy the money goes mostly to the top the trickle down effect doesn't so much exist anymore because of the bosman ruling really more than anything else i think but um you know to think that this league would be you know as perez is selling it as a savior for football um not a chance it's not a savior for football it's a savior for them and they would just control things like they the americans control the the leagues in the united states i mean when they talk about hockey and growth and hockey if they really wanted to if the owners really cared about the growth of hockey which they do not they would expand teams in toronto they would toronto maple leafs would allow you know four or five other nhl teams in toronto they would allow relegation and promotion Can you imagine if somebody had you know they go out and they buy oshawa or something like that and they they get through the divisions and they're allowed to you know play again in the nhl but that will never happen but that would be great for the growth of the game
2: and that would be want. yeah for the for the for the growth it would be yeah for the growth for sure but but they want they want cost certainty, which is what they have in North American sports and what these guys wanted as well, right? Yeah, so really from a sporting standpoint, you're right.
4: Charms, it takes away, don't you think, from the, the competitive nature, exactly from the 100%. point where even Klopp said uh, he doesn't want to see West Ham in the Champions League because it'll probably mean they're not. But he said, I want to, I want that opportunity for them. And that's what it's about. You're not supposed to do it every year. And you're supposed yeah. this also supposed to be somewhat uh, – level playing field which we know it isn't as as it
2: is anyway well that might be the collateral damage out of this not even damage um on the contrary it's not damage is that you know i've been covering this sport for 20 years right and i've been covering this story for 20 years it's been on the back burner as as leverage and a threat from the big clubs against uefa for, for decades now they've used this as their their demands for more money more certainty more more rights over broadcasting deals. They've used this as the big, you know, anvil over the head of the, the organized leagues. And now this is gone. No matter what Perez says, saying it's on pause, it's not on pause, this thing's dead because it's been proven that the fans and the players won't support it. So without that that leverage being in place, what what power do these clubs have now? Are they going to lose power? Are we going to see more of a, 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 more solidarity across the footballing pyramids now? Will they have less say, demand less money? Because the four, in, in the Premier League it's pretty probably the same in the Syria and La Liga, but in the Premier League, the other 14 clubs now have got an axe to grind with these six clubs. No matter who quit first, doesn't matter. They were traders. They're gonna leave these clubs behind. So now when it comes to negotiating broadcast deals and, you know, Champions League formats, I think the 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 majority of clubs now are gonna look at these 12 um outliers and say screw you we're doing it our way now spread the wealth enough's enough you can't now threaten us with this anymore that could be the sanction right that could be the sanction maybe not fines but long term that could be the uh, the result I think they're going to
1: have a hard time and get some ugly stares in the boardrooms for sure. But I feel like, you know, if Alexander Seferin went into the UEFA office and someone played u Two's with or without you, that's the, that's the song that would have got him throwing the vodka bottles at the wall because as Danny suggested in the last podcast, kick them out. And, you know, I'm sure I know in the Spanish papers, that's been some of the banter as well, but the reality is La Liga would not be sustainable and not exist certainly wouldn't be as watchable if you got rid of those three teams uh, who did this and flo perez is hanging on to this because they need it that's why the english teams backed out of this because they don't need it as bad they didn't want to be left behind which is what you know this in Arsenal's arsenal statement and i truly believe that um you know there was a time when it was the big the big four, all the ones for the champions league well now there's sixth in Arsenal and you know spurs who don't quite deserve to be there in my opinion uh, don't want to be the ones left out, so that's you know that was the the push for it in the end and to to watch it collapse as quickly as it did on Tuesday because of how the reaction in England and the, the passion um, that I think really su- surprised these American owners who thought that, you know, money and, and a quality football would win a quality product would win over everything. Um, it's
2: just remarkable how it changed so quickly in, in uh, 48 hours. Well, let me ask you, Deitch, when, when you look at these, this whole scenario, what happened, what training, what, what fallen, um, do you look at the clubs now where, where, you know, you have anger towards Chelsea and United and, and city, or do you, are you able to look at the owners, just the owners, because, the managers apparently had no idea this was happening. The players didn't. The players came out on force and said, "We don't want this. We don't like this." It was the owners, right? It could be two or three guys at the very, very top, the, the head of the snake, who are who are the issues. Do you just are you able to look at them specifically, or do you look at the entire clubs now as as the bad guys?
3: I think it's a difficult question, Charles, because of the uncertainty. Surrounding who really knew, I mean, even Woodgate has come out today um uh, sorry uh, the Manchester uh, yeah wood has come out today, and there's reports saying that he was opposed to it, and that's why he's quitting at the end of the season, which spin is a load of bullshit because <laughs> apparently he was one of the big instigators as we're, as well, but For me, as I said, like you you go back to fines and dropping points, whatever it is, given that Leeds were fined £200,000 for watching a training session for a little bush ahead, (laughs) how much will the PL, the Premier League, and UEFA fine the greedy six for the executives for sitting in on a commercially sensitive broadcast and commercial negotiations, whatever it was, whilst plotting their own rival competition? So for me... You're now looking at the bigger picture of the Premier League and the executives, and are they going to be inclusive now, involved in those meetings? We look at um, Streffand today come out and said he thought Agnelli was one of his closest allies, and the people around them, he's actually saying the people that were closest to me were the ones that were the most dangerous. So you think about going to the bigger picture. I don't want to blame the players. I really don't want to blame the head coaches but they are part of the club. And if the club were not inclusive of their head coaches and players before going into negotiations of this stature, then something is clearly wrong within those clubs.
4: Well, that's another thing I think they underestimated each. I think they just underestimated the whole thing. From a point of view, even from one of the players, they thought, oh, they're going to keep quiet. This is going to be great for them. They might make double their money, but they clearly didn't talk to anybody. They didn't talk to Alex Ferguson. By the sounds of things, you know, guys like that really top in these clubs. Uh, and then you got players all around the world that went crazy—Cantona, Figo. I mean, it was just endless, wasn't it? One hour. Well,
2: that's, and that's why the German clubs didn't jump aboard, right? And you know, I know they're coming out looking really good right now because they didn't join it, but they couldn't because of the fifty-plus-one rule, right? You tell me, Bayern Munich wouldn't be all over this if it wasn't for that? Of course they would. But it's just speculation, know. right? You're
4: absolutely right, because, you know, we were, you know, back in the day, I don't think when we were in sports, we weren't overly happy with, you know, these owners and these mega rich guys coming in, these oligarchs coming in. The reason why Abramovich doesn't live in London is because they came up with that new prove your wealth law. He was, they were dithering with his visa and he got his ass out and went to Israel. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, you know, Chelsea fans, Chelsea fans have to be careful too. Uh, They were, you know, they were coming out at the end near when Bates owned it, but it wasn't until Abramovich owned it that they won trophies and they're all happy with dirty money then, weren't they? You know, so you gotta be be careful, but I'm glad that they're again, going back. I'm glad that they're, they're, they're joining against this. I think Arsenal are planned to have a pick protest uh, uh, tomorrow night at six o'clock at Emirates. So,
2: TV what, TV to, to, to force Cronky out. Yeah. but He's not going to leave. He's not going to leave. That. And, and Henry's not going to leave. And the Glazers, unless they want to leave, I'm going to leave. I don't think you can force these guys out. Because like I said there, Craig, they're not, they're not living around the corner from the new White Hart Lane or from Anfield, right? They, they can sh- shelter themselves away from all the flack. And, and they're billionaires. They don't give a shit, right? They're sociopaths, most of them. Let's be honest. I've got nothing against you know, capitalism, nothing against billionaires. But they don't really care. I can't see, you know, barring new legislation from governments, I cannot see any of these guys being forced out by fan unrest
1: but I think that fan unrest might push these governments and certainly push the governing bodies to kind of make those sanctions. And Danny makes a great point. I realize I never really thought of this. What, how, how does Barry feel? How did Luton and these teams that, you know, had financial issues and have been spending just to keep afloat in league one overspending money they didn't have. And yet they've been punished with relegation and points deductions. And yet, you know, we really don't have an answer to these big six and, and, you know what punishment they might face you can't really pinpoint it it's got to be something like super super severe i just don't think that you're going to get it but i think what the fans showed and certainly you know the the media and the, these ex-players uh, i really think that you know jamie carragher and and uh, gary neville do deserve a lot of credit whether you know they really face any backlash or not to be honest but in being as open as they were because i think that really swayed the opinion
2: oh no no they did no doubt about it i, I think any you know, fan that might have been on the fence yeah, no, that they 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 were they took they went full face, didn't they, from, from the opening seconds of this, and, and good for them. I mean, listen, they're passionate and very emotional and a little bit of hypocrisy thrown in there, you know. Gary Neville's a, sure. a very successful businessman too, right? But he he admitted that too. Said, listen, I know, I know, I'm all about money. I appreciate the money in the game, um, but I, I just look at these owners right now, right, and, and just say, you know, they are not forced to sell, but encouraged to sell. Well, it's not the best time to sell a football club, is it? Right, so you look at United's worth about five billion right now. Not a good time to sell a football club. So, so why would they? And quite frankly, who could afford these clubs? Other John Henrys, other Malcolm, uh, Joel Glazers, other Stan Crunkies, Right, you're not getting the local, you know, car dealership owner buying these clubs. It's actually, on that,
4: actually, Sharns, I, I think that it's a great time to sell because the billionaires have made a ton of money during this pandemic.
2: Yeah, so you can imagine, be-
4: like you know, honestly, they could. Their money's gone way up so that a club like a toy like manchester united will will go for super amounts of money
2: but who's to say though that the next billionaire or trillionaire that buys the club from that billionaire or trillionaire is going to be any better right at that level of business you're not doing it for the sport right you just not they're not the people you're attracting there aren't too many trillionaires who grew up in salford with respect <laughs> right
4: no, no i mean they, they have to be very careful about and vetting these guys in a in a in a better way and and the, the way the Germans have done it with uh, no foreign ownership, and uh, I think there's only Bayer Leverkusen and Wolfsburg actually have, because after 20 years of a sponsorship, I believe you can apply for more than 49% or 50%. Uh, so I think Wolfsburg and uh, yeah, Leverkusen, but it's a, it's a great way to run a league. Um, you know, the Premier League is making all this massive TV money, but it's not like the clubs are making any money. You know, there's they're, no, not, they're, well, not. they're spending it all. It's just this massive amounts of money that is spent on agents and players and and all these things. They're not making money.
3: We need You're to, right, guys, We need to um, kind of try and think how the English game can be similar to the German game, where a lot of German clubs are owned by big manufacturers and car companies. So, obviously, we have Wolfsburg, who are owned by Volkswagen. You've got numerous other clubs. Who do you think in England could be, I mean, who could Burnley be uh, sponsored by and backed by? Like who Harry, Harry Ramson's fish and chip shop. <laughs> that would be it. Yeah. Charmin's proper pies would
1: have a team for yeah. sure. You
2: know, listen, we are in the market. Yep, They couldn't afford them.
3: I'm going back to like, are we ever going, I know a lot of fans are wanting, but are we ever going to see a 50 plus one ownership group in one of the big top six? Well, how, how do you do it? How does that materialize? I don't know. Like, because as you said, these owners have spent so much money. They've now invested so much money. They're not really into the game. Let's, let's not hide around the bush here, guys. They don't give a fuck about football. They're caring about their money. They don't even care about their national game in their own country in American football. So they want to get in and out with the biggest kind of profit they can. They're not going to sell to a supporters group that are uh, fully invested in the club, their granddad, their great granddad, their family's been invested in it for years and years. It's just not going to happen. So unless the government step in and start putting in these these rules that new owners have to have a certain percent with the supporters clubs, it's just going to be a a vicious cycle of these new owners coming in and wanting to earn as much as possible in the greatest league that profits so much, whether it be in TV money, sponsorships, whatever it is, players coming in marketing, it's just not going to happen. That's how you
2: do it though, right? It has to be government, right? State legislation for that to happen, but you can't force someone to sell. So like you said, it'd be new owners. So you have to wait years, perhaps decades for the Glazers or John Henry's or whoever it's going to be to decide we're going to sell now. And now we've got to operate and, and try and find a buyer in this new financial landscape, right? It's not easy. It's possible, I suppose, but it's not easy. So, so do you th- honestly guys, do you think in, in this fast forward 10 years from now, do you think European football is in a better place in 10 years because of what happened this week or, or, have we not changed? Are we the same? Will it just revert back to the same?
4: I don't. I, I think it it may be the same. I think this was really a uh, an interesting experiment from their standpoint. I think they really thought that it's going to work. Number one, and if it doesn't, they're going to be an incredibly good negotiating position. And I think that's failed on a few fronts. Big, massive backlash now against their own you know, their own cells and their, their, from their own fans. I mean, that, that's no fun at all. And, 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 we'll see how much leverage they actually have now moving. If nobody's, nobody's actually going to go for it. Because these other guys that are holding on to this hope that they can still cling on to it—that's that's their leverage.
2: Well, they're desperate, aren't they? They're desperate. Those clubs, super desperate.
1: I think that's what will—that's the the change that will happen. Is that in ten years the game won't change, but the big players, those that are trying to hang on to the money and those at the top, those will change. That's exactly why Juventus, Barcelona, and Real Madrid are hanging on to this so much because they do need this to survive. I think the reform will come with them. That's where you're going to have to have government intervention and a total German-style reform to save those clubs.
2: Well, I mean, if if Project Big Picture is now history, if that's going to be dead in the water, which is what the the top Premier League teams are trying to force through, 18 teams in the Premier League, more control over broadcast rights, commercial revenues, that could be dead now. That could change things. Um, My concern is that UEFA will or did speak to these clubs and say, listen, We'll, we'll fix up, we'll um, you know, change up the Champs League even further than we announced this past week to accommodate you. That's my concern, but we'll, we'll find that out in, in the next few uh, weeks and months. I thought we'd be stuck in courtrooms all summer. I'm so happy that we're not. I really am. We know we can just start looking forward to uh, another season. That's, that's the most important thing, and of course, a Euro. Um, okay, that's the end of part one. Uh, when we come back, though, we're going to stay on this Super League theme and just ask ourselves, was it the worst idea in history, back right after this.
4: They're bad, oh so bad, awful, oh so awful, the worst ideas in history. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: This is bullshit. I know you didn't hear it there, but there was definitely a mic drop. Curtis Elena, Waco there. She belted that one. Thanks, Elena. That was superb. Really, really good. And uh, indeed, it's time now for uh, the worst ideas in history. How do they compare to the European Super League, fellas? Um, I actually put a poll out there on Twitter this week. um, Had almost 400 hits on it. And it was, what was the best strategy? Was it Ontario's COVID-19 response? Or was it the European Super League? (laughs) <laughs> and so far, um, I think it's still running actually, but 72% say, yes, the European Super League was actually a better strategy than Ontario's COVID-19 response. Um, but it wasn't great, let's be honest. It was pretty bloody awful. So, guys, uh, let's start, Craig. Do you have anything that you can remember what was even poor, more poorly planned executed than this than this thing?
4: Well, I mean, from... A bad idea point of view and an individual say I, I think from football it was uh it was nineteen ninety six when Graham Soonas decided that he fell for the fact that George Weah's <laughs> cousin was gonna sign for Southampton <laughs> and actually play a game and get on the pitch. As amazing when you think Graham Soonas, all the memories, and that just when I think I grew Graham Soonas, I don't think of his playing days and his well, it's pretty hard not to, he's pretty good, but still that was just how does that happen? Like, seriously, like,
2: yeah. Cause why? I mean, you guys, I mean, I mean, obviously me, me and B, you know, we play sports at a certain level. We can tell who's good and who's who's shockingly bad. Cause it's usually us who are shockingly bad. But as a professional, like, can you look at a footballer, you know, say there's a trialist coming to, to your club, right. When you were younger who just, you knew wouldn't make it. Was it pretty obvious? Yeah, <laughs> Craig's yes. nodding slowly here.
3: Totally.
4: You know what? I'll tell you a story about a Canadian kid that came in from Quebec. And one morning, I and this is Ipswich. So one morning coaching staff, one of them says to me, uh, Hey, we got one of yours uh, here this morning for trial. And I was like, really? What's his name? Said something. I'm like, no, never, never heard of him. Oh, interesting. Okay. So we get out training and meet this kid and all this kind of stuff. We're doing training and, uh, I think it was big Phil Parks was the goalkeeper coach at Ipswich with John Lyle was there. That was his days. And this kid, so we started doing shooting and uh, he would stand about, well, he could, he could reach out and touch the post <laughs> to his left. And and this would happen a few times in the shooting session. So Phil pulls him aside and he's like, "You you got to stand in the middle, like, you're positioning like what are you doing and he goes yeah he goes i'm not very good at diving to my left but i saved everything to my right <laughs> <laughs> i have i have kid you not and i felt i'm just like oh my god like who sent you over here <laughs> so we end up playing a five aside like a short sided game so we throw him in there let's see what he's made of or whatever so the coaches are like whatever play like i don't know 15 20 minutes each way we were 10 nil up at half the kid is throwing him in left right and center and they get, and so at half of blow the whistle change sides right uh joe lyle says uh craig just stay where you are everybody else switch around we ended up winning 11 10 so the keeper <laughs> led in 20
2: 20- wow <laughs> jesus what a so story. How did story end up there i mean was it one of those uh you know rich kids who dad buys a trial
4: you know this is the problem uh You know, people talk about trials, trials aren't hard to get, but the fact is they get thrown into a position where then the coaches are under pressure because you got to pull the kid aside. And say you're, you're, you're not good enough. Like, like who sent you here? Like you're nowhere near. What do you mean? You can't dive to your left? Like
2: (laughs) that is ridiculous.
4: Yeah. And So he goes, so he says, Oh, I take it. You're not, you're not going to sign me.
1: (laughs) <laughs> but I think I took it pretty well, the rejection. I think I took that rejection very well. You guys just bullied and battered me.
4: Yeah. And then he says, uh, is there any chance you can put a good word into me? I'm going to go down the road to Arsenal.
2: Oh, Christ. Yeah, vouch for me. Like, no chance. <laughs> um, and he won six caps for Canada. want to who it was. Well, that's, what they, six... <laughs> that's what the player said
4: to me. They actually said, who is this guy? This is Canada's number two. Isn't
2: it? <laughs> oh, no. Hey, listen. Suts is better than that. <laughs> that onstead doesn't deserve that hey, hey dj Who was the worst the worst player you remember playing with be it a trialist or otherwise
3: well we had plenty
2: i can't you have seen that first year
3: oh god a, we had a we had a a couple of guys that came in from random places through favors for agents favors for Mo Johnson to get a couple more drinks in the bar. I don't, I don't know what it was. There was just an influx of players coming in that were going to be the saviors to our season. Didn't turn out that way, did they? No, not really.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Colin Samwell had a
2: nice gig there was for a while, while but... The oh, wow. <laughs> Tried calling the games.
4: Fuck.
1: <laughs> those first few seasons, man, I don't know how you did it for us. I don't know how you called those games, man.
4: In five years and and I think that every Toronto FC fan like even if they 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 don't dislike me I think when they see me they just see uh oh, there's something about him it was yeah because it was a fucking time it was five years of just disaster. we called five away winners in five years was in 50 like
2: yeah <laughs> I got to call that uh, Andy Walsh's uh first goal for TFC Andy
4: Walsh
1: there's a there's
2: a wow He's managing, um, is it, it's not Barnett. Where's he managing now? Berry. Berry? Is it Berry? The new Berry. Berry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good for him. Very really good guy, new. Andy Walsh. I liked him a lot. All right, B, um, any, any recollections of, of worse worst ideas than the European Super League? Uh, putting the World Cup in Qatar? <laughs> How about that? How
1: about actually, better than that, putting the World Cup in Qatar or being allowed to be considered uh, as an option for hosting a world cup with the the selling feature of air conditioned open air stadiums because of manufactured clouds that they would put over t- top of the grounds on match days to prevent the hot baking sun and 50 degree middle Eastern weather baking down and eviscerating the players. And more importantly, the, uh, the drinking fans that would violate all uh, religious laws to be drinking at football stadiums.
2: That's money, a great one.
3: Money, yeah. Money. yeah.
2: And instead, they're playing in December when it's only 35 degrees. Oh man! Fantastic. They should be just fine, shouldn't they? Over top of the bodies. Well, say so again, Craig.
4: Over top of the bodies.
2: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. this there's, there's a few flags being raised around the uh, Qatar World Cup, mm-hmm. which is next year, by the way. It's kind of creeping up on us, isn't it?
1: Pretty quickly. Very quickly. It's scary wow. quick how fast it was i still remember sitting in the newsroom at the score with you and thomas dobby and christian jack and watching on tv and the rumors had come out and twitter was still new then you know relatively new i think it was grant wall may have been there and he was a friend of the show so we were following him the closest we all had notifications and word had spread that the qatari group was celebrating this was before they'd announced 2018 remember and then they showed beckham and beckham just looked destroyed and we thought oh no it's not going to england well, which sketchy nation would it be? Could
2: could target both of them? Oh, Russia. Oh, well, that's probably fair, probably legit. <laughs> well, hey, listen, the game's been cleaned up this week, guys. So that won't <laughs> happen again. There's no, there's no uh, issues with the the high ranking officials in our in our beautiful game. That's for sure. Deej, worst idea than the European
3: Super League. I got a few guys. XFL. <laughs> Um, hey, the, hey, the score show XFL. I don't
2: care. XFL. It was
1: a good product, man. It was a good, you're judging it from afar. You were watching it. Vince
2: McMahon, the winner.
1: He's uh, going to save the CFL right
2: now. Donald Trump is involved too, wasn't he? He
1: was, I think. Yeah. yeah wasn't exactly. the,
2: long, the Doesn't the, the lingerie bowl didn't that come out of XFL?
1: the uh the lingerie football league which is now has a new name but still exists and they wear a bit more clothing but it, it still existed at least up until the pandemic more clothing so what they wear house coats no i think it's a lingerie it, league be with more clothes well cause, because it went from being like these women playing football in hockey helmets and lingerie to uh, wearing yoga gear and uh you know more swimwear is it still called the
2: lingerie football? No, they so no lingerie
1: they, at all. They elevated. They changed the name. Lingerie has has been removed from the scenario. But there's and considerably doing? more skin that's in, than than is needed. Uh, they had several teams last I looked, but this was mm. before the pandemic. So,
3: bunny's okay. obviously done a lot of homework on this shams. Apparently. <laughs> eh? <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, I mean, you, one thing I've learned is. Nice. And, uh, Going away from XFL now because of that show. Letting celebrities <laughs> sing the national anthem. That is shocking. <laughs> like Roseanne Barr, Cuba Gooding Jr. Carl Lewis, do you remember that? I was going to say Carl Lewis, yeah. That awful, was fucking terrible. Holy shit. But my two big ones are whoever invented AstroTurf needs a big kick in the nuts. And secondly, my last one is naming rights of stadiums. I fucking hate that shit. You gotta pay I the, the bribe somehow, Deej. Ah, gotta pay the bribe somehow. No, name him right. The stadium should stay. Upton Park should have stayed the same. Stamford Bridge, all those like hybrid. They, that's history there.
2: and oh, then, the Emirates
3: has a nice ring to it. Yeah, fantastic.
4: Well, I, he, I, what happens if they said to you, uh, "Your wages are going to be uh, ten grand a week"? And uh, but we're going to get naming rights, and we're going to get you know if we get them, it's going to be twenty grand a week for you. you will be, yeah, you will be like emirat.
3: <laughs> uh, find another way, guys. Don't fuck with history. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, right. All right, I got some here too. I some I, I got some sports related ones here. I have got the uh, the the Liverpool white suits at the FA Cup. Remember those ones, the Spice Boys. And they paraded what? around the uh, wembley in the white suits before the match that was pretty stupid they're still getting ridiculed for that one um <laughs> seat, seat cushions at bmo field
4: <laughs> that was a that was a the worst best probably decision
2: yeah exactly worst best for sure turned out great in the end iconic moment but
4: it was iconic it was amazing it was like one of the my favorite moments of all my football and career calling that game and then that that happening and because just just the fact that you could see the team was struggling too and you know you're just hoping for a big moment to see the fans like it was like wow I didn't I didn't expect it not like that
2: it's amazing that, you know, all these years later, the world still remembers, you know, this, the seat cushions, but no one has any idea who scored the goal, yeah. right? Oh, wow. it's, it's,
3: it's brilliant. It's just... I know. Uh, Those seat cushions <laughs> were perfectly made as well because I got hit by at least 26 of them, but they had a nice soft kind of mold about them that when they hit you on the back of your bald slapper, it didn't really do yeah. much. Do you have one, I think for the...
2: Do you have one, Dij? You must have one.
3: Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I've, I've got one. My my son, Franco, who's like the biggest TFC fan, has got one. Um, it's actually could Did you the, sign it for him? Did I sign it for him? No, no, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Can't afford to, right? You're charging too Name much for rights. Name him rights, guys. Name him <laughs> right.
1: um, for the brand, the- Dickio, when you retell that story, you have to say it was 24-seat cushions. It's for the brand. Think about it as a total
3: thing. I love that, Dunny. That's why we've got you on the show, fella. There you go. How about a uh, big Sam
2: Allardyce really? uh, England manager not the best choice in the world was it? Didn't turn out too well.
3: Not until we met the Arabs, yeah. No, nope.
2: with this pint <laughs> glass of white wine. <laughs> I thought uh Clinsman at TFC pretty poor as well. Not not quite Super League bad, but not God. great.
3: Uh can I tell you a little story about that? That it was a great story about Jürgen Klinsman. So it was when Jimmy was just retiring as well and he was moving into B Mojo's assistant GM. I don't know. I always hammer Jimmy about it. There's it a made-up role for him. <laughs> so anyway, Dasso, Nick Dasovic, myself, and Jimmy are in a room at Maple Leaf Sports Offices downtown at Bay Street. And we're sitting in there and we're waiting for the new guru who's coming in. We've kind of heard that is Jurgen. And I played with Jürgen. I played with Jürgen at Sampdoria in Italy. So Was he there then? Was he? Jesus. Yeah, he was there for that year. He he only went there for a year. I think he was there for less than me. But um, good guy. Good guy when I played against with him and a really good uh, mentor for me as well as a young boy going over to Italy. But anyway, so we turn up at the ACC. The officer's there. We're sitting in the room. And we're having this dialogue. And he's talking about, Oh, you know what? We, we've got to really push the Canadian spirit. We we want it. We want we want to push that hockey spirit within this group of players. So that's was kind of looking over at me and Jimmy's going, nudge nudge, wink, wink, wink. We fucking got this job. We, we're going to get the the full job. So we go out for lunch and we come back in the room and Jurgen's in there with his like assistant guy who had a like a backpack on and a pair of trainers. Looked like a just a, a hitchhiker. And Jurgen's talking about helicopter blades and what he's going to be spending his cons- like consulting money on. So me and Jimmy are like, what what's this guy talking about? And he's saying I-, I don't know whether to go for the uh, dynamic electro blades that fit onto this helicopter or this. What do you think? What 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 what, 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 what do you think, Donny? So I'm going, Jürgen, I have no fucking idea what goes on a helicopter. I'm here to talk about how we're pushing this club forward. And you're just fucking SAS in and out trying to get a little bit of dough and get new helicopter blades for your fucking helicopter in Los Angeles. He's like, absolutely right. Yes. He admitted to it. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. Then he brought in Aaron Vinter, who was so far, he was less Canadian than fucking me. Jesus, wow.
4: And his style of play, I mean, we'd already tried that before.
3: Yeah,
1: it's true. There were some players on that team. Do you remember that team that was rolled out? My God, there's some players I think that left Toronto FC and ended up playing in second division in Curacao.
3: Yeah. he was a fullback? He came from, he's well-known, Jesus, he was a fullback a Dutch Hallsmar, guy. There was Nick Schulzma, there was, a, remember the Dreadlock guy as well? And I, I, I kind of looked at him and thought, this guy's not a bad player
1: something martina was a heavy yeah. martina yeah he did he did have a uh, skill he was fast he had some skill you're not thinking of gregory vanderville
2: years later are you vanderville
3: shams. i'm thinking of vanderville oh we're going back years before that shams
2: no but w- w- no vanderville was winter wasn't he no no vanderville was championship team like, vanderville for- was it- oh, shit! of course he was who, so who am i thinking of another fullback
4: they've had a lot of turnover haven't they oh
2: jesus have they ever Two thousand
1: players have played for toronto fc since it was founded in 2007 aleko eskandarian no forrest it's not actually 2000 i'm just i'm just hinting at it you in the time period in which you called those matches those first five years it certainly felt like that i remember tallying it up at the score once with james and kj tallying up how many players had played for tfc it was insane it was a huge number. that The turnover
2: those first few years was, was crazy, but it was a lower number than I expected, which was kind of disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Halcyon days for TFC fans. Hey, Warner, um outside of the sporting realm, can you think of any you know awful, awful decisions?
0: Uh, I've, got, I, I've, I've got a few, sharps. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I thought i just throw so, one your way. Dude, uh, number one, and this is back to sports, was when Fox took over... The hockey broadcast they didn't think americans could follow the puck so they put a blue flame to follow the puck around danny just like literally it looked oh. like a video game and the slap this there'd be the no trail fucks.
3: behind it no fucking way
0: yeah and so it'll be going as, it was the glow puck so that was number one That's worst des- worst decision it, by I, are you sorry go finished? ahead
2: no, seriously, that, that's what they did, yeah. And when, when they slept with Puck at a certain speed, it would be like a comet with a, with a trail behind it. Yeah, yeah if it was like blue. 80
0: miles an hour or something like that, right? It was amazing. Shots were red. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It was horrible. So number two, um, the Ottawa Rough Riders in 1994 drafted a dead guy. <laughs> he had played. He had played for Las Vegas, and he died in a car accident. Hilarious. And this isn't that funny, but it's funny. They went, "Oh, number this guy, one ninety fourth pick, Robertson, dead." And they were like, "Hey, he didn't show up for camp because he's dead."
2: Wow, I remember yeah. that now. Was uh, before or after they they so at that point with the two Rough Riders? Yes, that's when there were the Rough Riders. Two- one name. And then the Rough Riders. Two yeah, names. so an eight-team league, wasn't it? And there were Nine two rough ri- nineteen, Nine and there were two Rough Riders. That's right, because we're Canadian. You we can't make this shit up, can you? No, no, we're fantastic.
0: I've got two more, uh, and I joked about this. Anyone who decided to put Bill Cosby on as a spokesperson, <laughs> Jello Pudding Pops, uh, the Cosby Kids, uh, the Cosby Show—all um, this time, this guy is like a full-on predator so that that's not doesn't wear well and then the worst idea ever
1: is giving jimmy savile a kid's show
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: it's funny that you mentioned that 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 was a tie-up because i was i was terrified the worst idea ever was going to be inviting me to be a full-time part of the show i thought for sure oh, that's my, no,
2: that's, i haven't been on my list yet that's bottom five
1: Jimmy Savile, Bill Cosby. You know, yeah. find me another football podcast where those names <laughs> I I'm still
2: in. think that the Super League's a worse idea than those. Okay, I need still. to ask one question about the Super League though. Was it the
0: concept or the way they rolled it out in this secrecy? Could they have slipped this by with better marketing, um, a more uh transparent approach? Hey guys, we're not could this have flown or was this all pushback because They tried like Craig used the term sinister last week or sorry, Tuesday. Was this because it was sinister and they played it wrong or then could they have played it right? Is the question.
4: Perhaps, perhaps it would have, they might've been able to, if they, if they had, um, if they had some allies, they didn't even know who their allies were. They couldn't even trust each other. Because w- once they started to fall, it was interesting, eh, to see the tweets. Oh, taught, like, One of the twi- 12 founding members of it. And he, everybody just, <laughs> just hammered and with the Spurs. <laughs> Are you fucking – And then, you know, the amount of teams that have won European trophies since, like, you know. Yeah. It has nothing, has nothing to do with, you know, history or, you know, anything like that.
2: No, I, I think you're right, though, Wonga. They could have sold it. To the fans, if there's transparency and there was better verbiage, but they, they did it the wrong way. They didn't even have their players on side, number one. Well, get your players on side, at least have them saying, yeah, this is good for the game. But I think when you peeled away all that bullshit, the bottom line was it was bad for world football and it was a, a cash grab and it was going to you know damage the, the football pyramid no matter how you dressed it up, that's the nuts and bolts of it, I think. So eventually it may have taken a while for us to come to that determination if they had done it properly with more, some more slickness, but man, it, it was, it was bungled from the off. It really was.
1: And largely because of the timing, a global health pandemic where you've got the gap between the rich and, and the poor at a level that it's never been at before the rich only getting richer. This is just an example of that. And pe- people turned on it immediately.
3: I think it was the blindsiding of everyone as well. You know, it was just the way it was suddenly announced. Everyone has been aware of it. Craig has spoken about it for a long, long time now that these big clubs are are in talks, uh, that something is in the works that they're going to either try and assemble a European competition that they'll play midweek, which was the Super League going to be anyway. But for me, it's frightening because... I really don't feel that it's over, guys. I think that this is just the first step. That they were testing the waters. They'll definitely go back to it in some in some sense. I mean, even uh, Gundogan from from Man City has come out today and said, "With all these Super League, with all the Super League stuff that's going on presently, can we please also speak about the new Champions League format, which is bringing even more games to these players now?" I mean more and more games. Is no one thinking of the players? The players yeah, 36 enough.
2: teams now, right? 36 yeah. teams and you're guaranteed That's 10 team. matches in the group phase.
3: Yeah, it's crazy. So there's more games for them in Europe. They're going to be playing more national team games now as well because of all these uh, qualifications for certain rounds of tournaments. And it's just, for me, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. But again, as I'll go back to, I think it's frightening because this is just the start of things. And I think the reaction from the fans and the people this week shows how many people are against it, but I don't think the hierarchy and the people that instigated it will stop at just this.
4: I think the teams are going to have to carry really three or four squads, but with all the money that they're bringing in, you know, they're going to have to, and let's face it in the future, Tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, Wonger, you know the you know guy, and well, we all kind of know the business. But what in the future is going to happen with these rights? Uh, We're obviously already seeing rights drop in certain leagues and certain places around the world. So it's going to be difficult for these leagues to you know to demand these the uh, amounts of money when you know the they can't ask anymore more of the fan anymore. You know, so it'll be interesting to see because they're going to be, a, I think there's a point where the players are just going to have to, they're going to make less money than they do now.
1: They're just trying to secure the bag, these teams. And and these, again, these Spanish teams really, really need it. And that's exactly why. But you look at the new format for 2024, 2025, that, was just buried in the news cycle that they, you know, re- um, regulated on on Monday, uh, or certified on Monday to add an extra hundred games to this schedule. How do you get four new t- more teams, but a hundred extra games? I mean, and this this table, this ten team table. I mean, the, these minnows will be battered. What? what... Polish champion has a chance, you know, in a 10-team table against any of these big-money sides.
2: You know what, UEFA, I think, are probably loving this because you're right, they they rolled out the revamped Champions League, which hasn't been well-received when it's been rumored, this whole Swiss model, they call it, hasn't been well-received. But compared to the alternative, the Super League, ah, oh, it's great, fantastic, thanks, UEFA, you're the good guys. You know, for them, it's been a great week. It really has. You know, they've, they've solidified their position as the... Uh, the governors of the European game. At the same time, you know they're not them. They're not the uh, the greedy people. We have the best interests of the sport at our hearts. Like wow, man, they spun it really well for themselves, haven't they?
4: Yeah, but at the same time, they're under pressure, charms, aren't they? It's like coming from the, the clubs. They want that. They want more money, more money all the time, and more power. And they've tried to create something that would create more money for them to take it. Yeah. But it's the players. Nobody thinks about the players. And you know what? That is the, the, the way it is. I mean, I understood that when I was 16, when I signed for Ipswich, you understood that once they're finished with you, they're finished with you. Like it's, you're yeah. done. You're That's basically right. a pawn. And as long as you understand what you're doing and enjoy what you're doing, they don't care about you. They're not going to help you in the future. Yeah. No, no, no. Like it's well, just, you got to understand what you're getting into.
3: You, you obviously learned the hard way, Craig, you were at the club at West Ham for a long, long time. And you're, you were loyal to the cause, and you know you you learned the very hard way. And you're right. As a football player, you're you're a piece of meat, guys. And it's not just as a football player. We've all seen it as uh, an anchor or as a sports commentator at big TV media studios. You're you're just a piece of meat until the next person comes along. And so, as long as you're okay with that and you understand the process, then you have to get along with things. But uh, there's not many players, especially with this Gen Z generation that are coming up now, that are okay with that. But I think most players, I mean, you're right. Yeah, I mean, the new generation changes everything. But I think
2: most players now, you know, the first couple or three levels of professional soccer in Europe, I mean, they're all taken care of, right? So how much do you actually need? And that's the old thing. So from that level, from the player's level, they're not whining about not getting enough money right now. It's the guys above them, right? It's the owners who want more money. They're the really greedy people. It seems that way to me at least anyway. Um, yeah. But I think you're right, Teach. I mean, this thing might be, they might revisit this thing in years to come. They, they might well do. But I hope that it takes a form of something orthodox within the Champions League model, you know, and, and they get appeased somehow that way, but not by doing anything away from open competition. You know, I want to see teams earn their berths in these tournaments. I don't think they should be given anything.
4: Exactly. I'm totally with you. It, that, it's that you got to still have that pageantry in the competition. That's why the sport does so well. Just it's, uh, it's brilliant, you know, and they, we have to have it.
1: They might uh, so f- try to ratify. I was just going to say quickly, they might try and ratify and have, you know, UEFA or FIFA sanctioned version of the, the preseason International Champions Cup because it's already there really that's that's the model they could fix it that way they could you know putting a fifa brand on it gives it legitimacy gives it a credibility in the fans eyes you know i mean maybe it hasn't worked for the club world cup but people do watch the club world cup and it is a trophy that we count you know when when tallying up all the all the trophies in the cabinet so maybe
2: that's how it comes about yeah there's change of foot there's no doubt about it and now we're going to find out what that looks like but there's change of foot um, and as much as we want to hammer these clubs, and rightly so, we do realize that the Syria La Liga Premier—they they also need these clubs. They need these revenues coming in and from these clubs.
4: We have to remember before, like it was, I was slamming the clubs as well. And interesting enough, that I knew there was something up when I wasn't getting slammed back by many.
2: <laughs> yeah, isn't like amazing, I, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I mean, I was like, "Holy, this is the first time ever!" You could just mention the name Arsenal, Liverpool, the Spurs, right, or Man yeah. United, and they're coming at you. And then they're all agreeing, and you know it's it. It was really quite something. And at the end of it, it's not the fans; has nothing to do with them. It's going to come down when it's all said and done. The ringleaders: Glazer, Henry, Cronky, Gazidis.
2: Yep. Yep. They were the that ringleaders. They were the ringleaders. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's. uh what a week it's been crazy. Um, before we, we're almost out of time here, guys. I want to just quickly go over some other um, ideas I thought of that were worse than the, the Super League. Outside of football, um, the Chevy Chase show from back in the 90s, that was pretty awful. Um, attacking Russia in winter. Not a great move by 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 Hitler. Not the best idea in the world. Pretty stupid. Cocaine the wonder drug. Right? Once upon a time, that was seen as the, uh, the drug that would cure all your ills fucking hell what a time that would have been
1: <laughs> well did hey, you doc, get thomas rongan on again not and he'll, he'll tell myself about doc gonna get was, a prescription <laughs> it was the Go early ahead. 70s wasn't it the early 70s isn't that
2: just the whole <laughs> yeah
4: club you, uh what's you, it you, club we, can buy, we can buy prescription stuff over the counter these days it'll kill you just the same
2: yeah no kidding eh? no kidding all right is it time Got got time longer for some uh some footy picks or what I think it is. I've got, I put them up in the
0: chat. Uh, right. Danny, you don't have to sing this week. I Why will not? drop this. He can, but he might
3: be scaring his kids. <laughs> are you going to do an intro? No, I'll just say that this week we are doing a super league footy picks from the back garage of Salford city football club.
2: <laughs> Gary Neville. Wow. On a footy prime for the first time. Nice. That should appease piece of the Manx out there. All right. Wonga. what do we have? You're a mute.
4: West Ham. He West Ham v. Chelsea. You, he just called you a mute. Yeah, thank
0: you. On mute. West Hammington versus Western Hamilton versus Chelsea.
4: Big I'll game. Let you guys, go first
1: because yeah, be quick. We've got yeah. two minutes left here, boys. Because you're super biased for us. I'll go
3: first. Uh, West Ham one, Chelsea two. Big game. This 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 is going to define whether West Ham get into the Champions League or not. This is their biggest game of the season remaining so far. They've got really kind of not easy, but they've got easier games. Um, in the rundown. So I think it's going to be a one, 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 one Craig. I hope West Ham win. I really hope West Ham win. Sorry for all my Millwall fans out there, but I want the Hammers to win.
4: Three, one West Ham.
2: Go on lad. All right. All right. Next up, one. Liverpool V Newcastle.
3: I'll go first. 2 1 Liverpool. Liverpool are still struggling to be efficient in front of goal. There's something wrong there, Shams. There's something wrong with this Liverpool team in front of goal at the moment. I agree. Uh, I don't think they pull out a 2 0 win against a poor Newcastle team.
2: At least it's still my team, anyway. That was in question for a while there. Uh, Craig, quickly 1 1. 1 1. Yes, you got it right on uh, Monday, didn't you? Yeah, I think you said one-one, and last game Leeds v Man U. Very quickly, boys, give us two, scores. Nothing else. Two-two draw. Two-two. Deach.
3: Leeds one. Manchester United nil. Ooh, great. Two-two. Two-two. Desmond. Desmond's.
2: <laughs> there are your pretty picks from the fatty garage <laughs>
3: alright
2: boys thanks a lot for doing this it's been uh, like I said a crazy week uh, we've got two podcasts out of it which really help our numbers and Christ we need help with our numbers so keep subscribing keep liking our thanks to Amsterdam Brewery com, and of course Blue Mikes who make even someone like myself sound half decent thanks fellas see you next week bye